Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Greetings. You've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSIP.com, and you can go to GetOnSIP.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.me on the web, is hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Excellent. Thank you, Randy. And now over to Andy. Andy, are you ready with the critical information? You're, on, you're muted, though. Yeah, I can, I can, I can uh, waffle on about uh, bits and pieces. Which particular bit of critical information would you like first? Uh, uh, Cranky Geek first. Okay. Well, Cranky Geek uh, so is a WebRTC conference that is on this weekend um, in San Francisco. It's completely sold out, unfortunately. So if you haven't already got a ticket, you're not going to manage to get in. However, the whole thing is being livecast. Um, so if you go to crankygeek.com, that's K-R-A-N-K-Y-G-E-E-K.com, um, you should be able to watch the whole event all weekend. That should be quite interesting. Nearly all the movers and groovers of WebRTC are at that event. So, and then, thank you, Andy, and then we... Hang on, just a correction. Oh. That's, to, that's today from noon. Um, so it's not... It's ah, I, ap- I apologize. No problem. And the disembodied, I'm, I'm, the disembodied I'm, I'm, voice, What were you speaking on now, just for the voice quality of, I would say, 0.5 uh, John Todd's? Yeah, so I'm using Bria, you, uh, Opus, Ooh. Yes. Um, to ZDX. Excellent. All right, thanks, Tim. I appreciate your chiming in, and you should all go see Tim and watch it on the web if you can't go. For, to Tad Hack Mini Chicago, Andy, you want to do this? I've got a slide up. Uh, yeah, we can do that one as well, because uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's the start of a, uh, of a bit of a mini tour. Um, that uh, We have Tad Hack Mini in Chicago on the 3rd and 4th of, of October, um, that which uh, I know there will be many around from that. There are our sponsors. Uh, I actually don't remember who the new sponsors are for this, this particular event, but it's the, it'll be the usual uh, bunch of sponsors there. I believe there's $8,000 of prize money to be won. So that's the uh, 3rd and 4th of October in Chicago at the uh, Illinois Institute of Technology. And then we have Astrocon, which you guys are also going to, and you could comment on that. I could indeed. Uh, we will also be at Astracon, and, and indeed, uh, we will. There's actually another event uh, in in between the two, which is the Institute uh, uh, Illinois Institute of Technology. Right. I always get that one wrong. Um, 
real-time communications conference which uh, goes on on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of the, of the week following. So that's the 6th, 7th and 8th uh, of October. And then we're uh, off down to Orlando in Florida for Astracon, which is going to be uh, an amazing time, I would think. Um, all the usual people there. There's, there's uh, Mr. Duffett and, uh, of course, the lovely Alison. Um, and we will we will undoubtedly be trying to get hold of you at some point, Randy, so we can have a drink of toast with you. I would think that would be that would be absolutely excellent. And Michael, if you've got the slide, why don't we in this nice series of commercials? Why don't we throw up our Kiva results and see where we're at there? Um, we like to we have a group VUC group for Kiva. You go to kiva.org. You can join them and you can make a difference in somebody's life by simply putting out you front them twenty five bucks. $25, whatever the equivalent is in your local currency. Most of us are on this thing. You can see that we've made over 1,000 loans, 13 this month. Bravo. They got, excellent, excellent, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, how many members do we have? 46. Well, we need to get 50 members, so we'd appreciate it if you would go join us. Uh, and that would be going to vuc.me slash Kiva. I think that will bring you to the group. But we're proud of what we do there. So thanks to everybody who participates in that. Now, that ends the commercials, and if I could just not end the entire uh, sequence, I'll bring myself back for a second. Okay, we had planned. Now, the person who really wanted to do this, really, really, really wanted to do this, is James Bodie, and he was not able to make it. However, I happen to remember, unfortunately for him, that Derek knew something about this stuff and had some stuff set up for software-defined radio. Now, for the person like myself who knows nothing about software-defined radio, I can tell you, as someone who had a ham license in 1962, radio is electromagnetic waves that can be modulated to hear things just like you're hearing me now. Uh, and it can be long wave, short wave, microwave. It can be modulated in AM, FM, single sideband, which maybe is arguably a arguably a form of AM with one of the sidebands cut off, filtered out. Anyway, that's radio. Software-defined radio cuts all of this huge... Gee, I should have showed you the photo of my ham radio setup, which took up my whole room in the 60s. But, I mean, it cuts all these tubes and transistors and huge antennas. You've got a small... Can you show that antenna again, Derek? Let me put a... Focus on you. So Derek's got a setup. Now, this is a local setup, so that's shortwave, right? Shortwave. Sorry, just unmuting. Uh, this is the antenna that comes with the inexpensive uh, software-defined radios that are available on the Internet. It's good. It's designed mainly for about 400 megahertz, but uh, I use it anywhere between 100 and 800 without problem. Cool. So it actually captures whatever signals it can, and then... You have uh, a dongle, which is a USB, a little key kind of thing that goes into either a computer or, in the case uh, that you showed a few minutes ago, Android. Right, that's it. This that's one of them. Entire software-defined radio. And I'm going to read on this side and uh, antenna plug on that side. Everything else is uh, done in software. And on the Android side, I'm just going to show very quickly uh, what I found, which is SDR Touch, which is an Android app. I'm sure there must be an iOS app for this, uh, which means that you can take an OTG, an on-the-go cable, uh, for uh, your USB for your Android device. 
This is pretty geeky stuff, isn't it, though? But you need a little cable, which costs a few dollars, and you need the dongle. Derek, what could you tell us about dongles uh, as far as the range? I saw one. Some of them are about $200, I think, some of the SDR setups. But the dongles are what, – what's the price range on those things? Uh, the dongles for your for your phone? Yes. Uh, I think I paid $7 for it. Oh, well, that, yeah, that's completely reasonable. So, uh, $7 for the dongle, and I think this SDR radio was $14. Okay. okay. Oh, the dongle is just the – now I'm confused. I thought the dongle was the radio. I'm sorry. The dongle is, the, is what uh, makes the output of the phone here a regular USB port. OTG cable, no? I'm sorry, yes, OTG cable. Okay. That's the $7 part, and this is, I think, 13 or $14. Well, so for 20 bucks you get on that. That's excellent. And what kind of now you um, apparently have not been using this in the last year or so, you said, and I understand that you get something bright and shiny, new object, and then uh, you maybe let it go for a while. But what were originally what was your experience with it? So you hooked this thing up. You've got a piece of software you might want to show, by the way. Uh, and we'll go into the Absolutely. web. You know, uh, I started off uh, hearing about SDR radio. And when I hear about something, I've always got a play with it until I understand it. Um, so I went from getting the initial SDR radio, trying to figure out uh, through all of the available free software on the Internet, some simple, some less simple, how to actually receive a signal on a given frequency. And from there, based on my needs, uh, I wanted to find software that allows you to receive multiple frequencies simultaneously which is why I've wound up with the software that I currently use now, which um, is, uh, S whoops, not that, SDR console. So this, this is uh, what I see when I launch the application. And from here, I can, this is my local police department. Um, if I want to, I can add another VFO and listen to two, two, two departments simultaneously which is what we're doing now. I'm listening to the town over as well as my town. The limitation here is it has to be within the available bandwidth that the little dongle can work within. And that's depending on uh, the band you're using. It's not terribly large. So what I do to resolve that is I have a second, uh, second SDR radio that allows me to receive frequencies that are outside of that also simultaneously. So now I'm listening to both VHF as well as UHF, three channels in total. Now, uh, uh, another advantage of this software, just listening to all these things simultaneously can get a bit confusing. So what I've done is you assign uh, an audio space for each particular signal. So that this this radio over here is heard from the left. This one here is heard from center left. This is heard from the right, allowing me spatially to know who's talking rather than having to look. Because in a typical day, I just listen. I don't look at this uh, at what's going on. Uh, my use, again, is more for fire and police as opposed to single sideband or uh, scanning uh, ham frequencies.
I'm not an amateur radio operator. But you can also listen to aeronautic stuff. Some of that is on shortwave as well. I'm going to show something. I don't know if you can comment on this, Derek, because I'm not sure what you know about these this other part of the technology. But people might want to see there are several pages on various hardware solutions involving uh, sometimes it's uh, uh, Raspberry Pi, sometimes it's this, and I'm not really that sure what this is, but someone gave me this on, on IRC. Um, so this is an RTL SDR. We, we agreed that we didn't know what RTL. Anybody know and could put in IRC what RTL stands for? Besides Radio Television Luxembourg, which I'm sure they don't mean in this condition, in this case. Uh, and GNU Radio with, so the real tech RTL 2832U is a receiver. And you can see that it's got a uh, USB. Do you know anything about this thing or any of the, this type of thing? Uh, I, I, I was starting up another piece of software to show you. I missed the question, Randy. One more time. I was just wondering if you knew what this kind of thing represented. These are boards you can buy, and um, they replace the dongle. In other words, not the dongle, but they replace uh, the other style radio. So they're a little bit more expensive. They're full-on computers, I think, possibly. Uh, I should go back and get the Raspberry Pi link as well. But anyway, a little research Actually, on the, Go ahead. With, the, with these radios here, you're paying for the chipset that they use. Some chipsets are a little bit more sensitive than others, but they're all basically the same thing. And what I showed you is actually a variant of this. It's just a micro-sized one. The disadvantage is it gets a little bit hot and drifts. Here's another uh, interesting piece of software if you'd, if you'd like to take a look at this. Okay. Um, this is um, my mobile RTL-SDR running ADS-B showing aircraft in real time. That's amazing. And that's just with a little antenna sitting on my desk. Mm -hmm. Now, there are, there, are web page, oops, yeah. there are web pages that do this kind of thing as well. It's not, you're not direct, of course. And there are web pages. I'm going to show one in a moment when we get done with, um, with looking at your system, but and I can bring in some of the sound if I can find anything that's worth listening. I've had, been having some problems with that aspect recently. But it's a fun thing to just, if you don't want to buy anything at all, and a lot of people are in that case where, you know, why should I buy anything? Let's see how this thing works. If you want to do that, uh, let's see, where is, I need to find that. That's not talking to me, though. Uh, if I did a search on SDR Web, unfortunately, that brings up, WebSDR.org. Now, let me show a little of this. If you have any comments, Derek, please uh, be, feel free to, to jump in. Um, here we go. I'm trying to well, – selecting the screen share sometimes isn't obvious. Here we go. All right. So what we're presenting to everyone, what we're looking at now is I'm going to take you down to the bottom of this page. This is WebSDR.org, and they have a map at the bottom, which you can zoom in on to see what countries this stuff is in. Let's go over to the United States. Uh, so let's see, does this actually do anything? I bet it does. This is cool, and this is a little takes things a little further, so you don't need hardware, and you can actually, this is a listing of this stuff. I don't know what happens. Oh, it even has, you know, what kind of antennas they've got and all that. Now, earlier, I'm going to go way up to the top, and I'm going to put Europe, and I found a thing that was fairly active. If you are a ham operator, it's a great way to listen to yourself halfway around the world. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, this doesn't have to be. Well, this is mostly ham stuff, although here's 
here's some two meters in, in Britain. Let me see if I can get anything at all to work on this. And if I can, I will bring, um, so obviously you're not hearing anything. Well, I'll give you what I'm hearing. It's pretty soft. There's a signal. Uh, bear with me while I, there we go. We're going to zoom in. Oop, damn, missed it. I've got to zoom out. This is a little hard to, all of these things use the same software, but it's a little tough to actually get anything. So there's this, what they call the waterfall display. Can you guys hear anything? should be able to hear a little. Nothing. Oh, it's because I had the wrong knob. So watch this, what happens here. Passionate, right? That's fantastic. All right. What you were looking at here is not fascinating, but if you can hear the tones, what you see really is that is the way you're tuning. We don't have any signals here, but the interesting thing is the display, what they call the waterfall display. Let's try another one because there's obviously not much happening here. Um, I'm just going to try. Oh, here's, this is a pretty good one in, in Great Britain. So here we are now. Again, we're live, folks. Oh, this would be two meters up here. So two meters is going to be it's going to be FM, right? And there it is. It's getting a little bit better. Exciting stuff, right? Ooh. Very hard to control. This is what people do all day. They talk about what they have on their roof all day. All right, enough. You know, one of the things you're bringing up here, Randy, about uh, being difficult to control is, is kind of a benefit and a detraction from this being more popular. Because depending on which software you use, they all do things differently and they all have their strengths and they all have their weaknesses. So like the, the interface that you were just looking at. I've never seen before, for example, and I wouldn't know how to use it, yet the hardware used is exactly the same. Right. I, I think that that interface, being as it's the same on every single web page, it must come with, that must be software that either, well, it's, it's obviously either open source or it comes with those. Everything is open source, and it would have, you know, you, it would have been something they downloaded, and it's currently the most popular one. There you go. Hey, we, you know what? We are uh, fortunate to have an expert with us. Bob, thank you for joining. Let's see if we can hear you. I think we can hear you. Tim is here also. Tim is uh, saying in the wire chat that he needs to uh, say his piece soon because he has to move on. Oh, okay. Things. All right. While Bob is adjusting, I see he's getting ready. Tim, go ahead. Is he unmuted? Yeah, I am now. I've forgotten how to do that on the VX. Um, yeah, so now all I was going to say was that what's really interesting from my perspective about uh, software-defined radio is the fact 
that you can use it for some of the new uh, frequencies that are coming out. So if you look at things like uh, TV white space, so that's a band of frequencies that are being dynamically allocated from a database of say, you know, okay, well, there's some spare, spare frequencies in Nevada you can use, or, but not today because the police are using them or whatever. So this is kind of negotiation that goes on. And with a classic radio, that's really difficult to manage. The software-defined radio, it just pulls out the frequencies in the database, lines them up and runs them. And then the other fun thing is that you don't have to run a consistent protocol. You might say, well, for my IoT device, I really care about, you know, uplink reliability and downlink not so much um, and so you run a protocol that's related to that and the fact that it's all software defined and not baked in silicon makes that all of that possible i've no idea what my audio quality is like so that may have come out really garbled but anyway just you're perfectly you know, you know you're perfectly understandable just really to say that it's enabling a lot of smarter use of frequencies that had been locked down to a single purpose and a single uh, you know often a nationwide purpose where now you can use a much more intelligent algorithm for allocating frequency space and then using it more smartly for the specific you know task you have in hand and and you're starting to see that with things like LTE and Wi-Fi maybe sharing um, sharing space with from protocol so it's, I think it's a really exciting time Bob knows much more about this so hopefully I should just shut up and let him talk well, well, we'll bring Bob in as soon as we make sure that uh, we can hear him and all that. But, uh, Tim, it's true that a lot of the average person maybe has never thought of this, but Spectrum is limited. And, uh, you know, there have been huge auctions for, uh, for 4G uh, space and all of that in the past. But just all Spectrum is, is limited. And further, it's bizarrely put together in different countries. So it's, it's a complex problem. And you're right. This is a one way to address it that might be an answer. Okay, let's see if uh, Bob. Bob, can you hear me? I think you. He, he doesn't appear to, but or he, or he's speaking in. Like, sounds like keyboard noises. Bob, can you nod if you can hear me? Yes. Okay, we can't hear yeah. you though for some reason. Well, I'm trying to. There we go. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, good. Yeah, I was trying to get a better headset, but I guess I I may not be able to find one. No, anyway. you're fine. You're fine. I'm going to put you okay. on here. So, Bob, you're from Range Networks. Why don't you talk a little about about what Range does? We kind of know, but not everyone watching this would know. And your involvement with radio in general. What what is Range Networks anyway? I'll pretend well, I don't Range, know. That, that that's a fair question. Range Networks is a uh, provider of cellular base station software, and we actually make use of SDRs in the in the deployment of cellular base stations. Uh, these base stations are, you know, 2G, 3G, and hopefully soon 4G uh, based. And what Tim was talking about is exactly the, uh, the conclusion that we had reached some time ago, which is the best way to um, leverage off-the-shelf technology is to use SDRs for, um, for the cellular communications. So we have a number of deployments um, you know, around the world, and you're looking at the web page right now. Um, you know, mostly in the 2G space since it's a lot of rural deployments. Um, but we're, you know, very rapidly reaching a deployment phase on 3G, and uh, hopefully in a few months here 4G as well. 
And exactly what you're talking about in terms of being able to have multiple signals, our vision is if you have a MIMO device that's got uh, you know, multiple uh, antennas, you can process both, say, 2G and 4G or 3G and 4G off the same SDR, thereby reducing your communication costs by quite a bit. So when we asked you to, um, to come on here, it's because you are the person, apparently, who's best uh, suited to, to talk to us about this. Uh, uh, you, you didn't, you, but you didn't hear what went on before, perhaps. I, I, heard, a, I heard a little bit, um, but I, I did get in a little bit late, I'm sorry to say. That's okay. That's okay. We're just looking for a, a little more guidance in, in uh, what the uses for this would be, any suggestions or places besides going to rangenetworks.com, by the way, which would be one place where you can learn about what they do. Right. But on so, SDR, uh, you let, apparently, let me, you folks have been pioneering in that. And, and by the way, I, I will say that the real guy that should be on here is Harvin Samra, who's uh, our CTO and who has a Ph.D. in DS uh, signal processing and has been working with SDRs for quite a while. Um, my involvement in it has been relatively recent and mostly focused on how to exploit it in terms of, uh, you know, cellular communications and like. I do know it's used uh, in a lot of hobby uh, type uh, situations, lab, research, universities. Um, you know, we work pretty closely with both Edis Research and Nuond, um, who both make SDRs, uh, fine companies, make good products. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to continuing our relationship with them as well. I don't know if anybody from those companies is on, but, um, but they're, they're the real experts on, on how to actually build these things. Now, they also cost a little bit more than the $14 one that the other gentleman was talking about. These, these, these radios go anywhere from a few hundred dollars to a couple of thousand dollars. So if I might pose an application scenario, because the, the first time that I encountered this was a couple of years ago, and I was uh, tracking what was going on at the Chaos Communications um, Corps in their annual event over the Christmas break in Germany. And somebody had used an SDR approach to analyzing the goings-on in, in deck um, radio links because there was this sort of widespread misconception that deck links were uh, encrypted when in fact the encryption they found was optional and it was largely never used, which meant they were sending the audio streams over the deck links in, in the clear. And uh, they were able to determine this using some kind of rudimentary SDR and a little bit of software. And, and uh, But then earlier it was intoned that up in that space, which is around 1.9 gigahertz, is at the edge of maybe what some common SDR hardware does. Is, is that true or, or can you enlighten me a little about What's up in that range? Well, well I'll try. The, um, so the deck is at the upper end of the 1800 megahertz bandwidth defined for GSM communications. Um, I, have, I never can remember the specific frequencies. I have a cheat sheet that I use uh, to um, remember those since there's too bloody many of them. But uh, 1800 on the um, uplink goes 1710 to 1784, and on the downlink, 1805 to 1879. So DECT is just a little bit above that. I think it's in the uh, 1880 to 1900, something like that. 
uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, if you've got a situation where, in fact, you could probably do this with any frequency, um, you know, the the you're going to be transmitting on those frequencies, and an SDR that's t that's tuned that basically is going to grab those signals, and uh, you need software to convert them. That's the that's the tricky part. The SDR is really doing mainly the analog to digital, digital to analog conversion. Um, how you interpret what's being grabbed by the SDR is is really the the secret sauce, and that's mostly what range focuses on, and what what probably those folks were doing as well. Um, once you know how to interpret those signals, and there's a lot of standards around on deck. Um, yeah, you can pretty much grab you know whatever you whatever you want. Now there are um, you know this was much more common in the analog world where like with DEC, the encryption was either non-existent or optional. Um, digital communications nowadays have a little bit more um, security uh, around them. Excellent. Thank you. Might as well uh, pause for some questions. By the way, this is a um, something that uh, Jamie put up, a piece of software that you can download, can de decode digital signals. This is one. I'll present some others. But right now we're waiting for any questions from... Uh, from IRC or from the panel or from uh, ZipDX? Yeah, I was almost going to put some music on hold, but somebody had a nice <laughs> ringtone. I, I just, for me, this, this, this whole subject is absolutely fascinating, but it's a huge subject. I mean, the, the application uh, that are out there for SDRs now is, is just absolutely immense. I mean, it's, it's, can you, anyone see anybody making a uh, particular piece of hardware for a particular frequency or frequency range anymore? I'm not sure that that's, that's going to happen. Uh, did you, would, you, uh, would you agree, Bob, that uh, SDRs aren't going to be completely ubiquitous fairly soon? Uh, you know, it's a good question, and, and I can only really comment on it, mostly from the cellular point of view. So I, I apologize for the narrowness maybe of my, uh, my background. Um, you know, the trade-off is is always the general purpose versus the specific purpose when it comes to cost of silicon versus cost of software versus cost of uh, general hardware components. So, you know, the, the guys that are doing, say, 4G uh, Pico cells uh, can get these down to the point where they're selling for, you know, 100 bucks, a few hundred dollars for, for bigger ones. Whereas the SDRs are still in the several hundred dollar range in quantity one uh, for for equivalent type of hardware, not the not the fourteen dollar component that the I'm sorry I don't don't know your name uh, the gentleman was showing Derek was showing um, so that's that's the issue and and something that a lot of people I think in the cellular world are still very much divided on they're not completely sold in the idea of SDRs replacing um, you know, purpose-built hardware. Certainly, commercial companies like Ericsson and, and Huawei have a vested interest in continuing the purpose-built hardware because if you made it SDR, you would be opening up for the world to more competition, and that's something, of course, that they don't want. Um, but I think the SDR has a little ways to go yet before it becomes ubiquitous. Where I think it is very exciting, at least for us, is the notion of um, getting multiple signals through one radio, mobile protocols through one radio, that then starts to bring the cost per 
effective base station down and uh, makes it very competitive with the purpose-built stuff. So um, that, that's what I'm looking forward to. I think in the long run, SDRs will certainly overwhelm um, uh, most purpose-built uh, items except for the very narrow purpose-built ones. Um, but I, I think they still have a little bit of a ways to go from a price point of view. Yeah, I can see the, the, that that point. And there is always the other factor. No matter how much you uh, you um, try and make sure that nothing ever crashes, that uh, there is the potential much more for, uh, for for software to crash. Whereas, yes. you know, if if you've done some rigorous testing and you you have a reliable uh, bit of hardware, you you are going to rely on that and know it's going to work. Yeah. No, I, I, it's a it's a fair point. I, I think the um, and these are all the, the things that will you know the debate will continue. Um, you know, I, I've I've done a lot of hardware designs and you know worked on a lot of hardware designs and there's always that Swiss Army knife effect is what what I what I call it. My colleagues would call it the more general purpose you make something, the inherently higher cost it is. And and there it's it's just one of those one of those things. Um, so, uh, but you know, our commitment is to SD as, as range is the SDRs. We're we're not working with any purpose-built hardware at this point. It's a slightly different attack on on the the, the whole subject, and particularly with with uh, reference to what you do at, at range. Probably actually more to uh, to look at, at the way that cells might work. How do you actually develop for the for the for these things? How, do you uh, are they interface to uh, a standard bit of bit of kit? Do you use Linux? Um, what do you use as an operating system? And how how is development of this sort of thing done? Yeah, well, we look at cellular base stations really as a Linux app. Um, I know that might be heresy to Ericsson, but but that's really what it is to us. So we use uh, a Linux operating system, Ubuntu. Could run on others, but we just we use Ubuntu because that's what I think founders were mostly familiar with. Um, and we basically write software to do first all of the signal processing, right? So converting all the digital signals that come from the uh, uh, SDR into an actual protocol. And that's all defined by the 3GPP standards. I, I can't quote you the exact document here. I, I always have to look it up. But there's a standard that says this is how you interpret these signals that, that are coming in and how you build a uh, base station to be able to process a cell phone call from a, from a phone. Um, and, but that's all done in software, just as a Linux. The guy who really knows how to do that is Harvin Samra, who's our CTO. He's written most of that code uh, for doing the, the processing. Uh, and we've done that now for 2G, 3G, and 4G at the, at the layer one. That is the, the physical part of it. So um, it's, it's really, but it just runs as a Linux app. Um, I, I don't know how, how to explain it beyond that. It, it's, it's complicated in implementation, but it's simple in, in concept. That's pretty much what I thought you'd you'd say, actually. Yeah. Um, well, it's the obvious thing that, that uh, nearly everybody runs every, runs things on the embedded Linux these days, um, and it may or may not end up being embedded. It may, it may uh, be actually running an operating system which is active, if you see what I mean. Sure. 
Um, we do have we do have one customer who's running our software on an embedded Linux. Ours is not. We don't use an embedded Linux. We just use a regular um, you know server type operating system. But yeah, you can port this to any Linux that's out there if you want. Um, we have uh, I mean we've had people running base stations on. Uh, everything from a Microsoft Surface to a Raspberry Pi to an ARM7. Uh, it's pretty much whatever you want to spend your time working on. <laughs> yeah, how many hours do you do you want to waste on this particular project? That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. But you know, it's pretty cool to have a you know be able to run a base station off an ARM. Uh, that's you know, uh, the the big guys would never even dream of doing anything like that. Yeah, it's all interesting stuff. It is, and that's why we wanted to dedicate uh, some space to this. I'm really sorry that James couldn't make it because uh, he was the one who actually had the idea, and he would have had some great input because he has been a ham operator, although James told me that he was one year old when I got my ham amateur radio license in Seattle. So I may be the dean here, ladies and gentlemen, for the moment, but that's all been uh, gone way past you know, I, my license expired years ago, and it's the impression I have is that uh, I just heard about SDR maybe two, three years ago, vaguely, and wasn't that interested in it. And then when we did our 24-hour VoIPathon here, when was that, Andy? That was what? Uh, in that, that was in, that was in April. That was a uh, weekend before Easter, wasn't it? Was it? So, so we've done it for this year. Good. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think I could do that anymore, though. <laughs> 24 hours on the Internet Live. Anyway, uh, we did tune around, and we actually had better luck than we actually found some conversations. I was remember that I had a Sony radio. Bob, you may remember these. Sony made a what looked like a boombox kind of small, but it was a shortwave radio that went from, sh from long wave to FM, and it was digital. It was one of the first digital radios ever made. Uh, and that thing, you could tune around and it would scan. And I heard a conversation one night on some aviation frequency that sounded like a hijacking. It ended up being two guys talking about what they were hearing on the news. <laughs> they were pilots, but I mean, they weren't, there was no official thing. But they were on some kind of a shortwave channel. Anyway, there used to be things where if you tuned around long enough, you would actually hear some interesting things. In my experience in the past couple of days of having all this SDR, uh, all these sites available, I have tuned around and we've heard a uh, bunch of uh, amateur radio stuff, which brings me back 40 years. It is really not that interesting. Guys talking about what they've got on their roofs, <laughs> the 20-meter dipole and all that kind of thing. But uh, Derek uses it more for local, which which is interesting. Uh, and did I say publicly that the caveat is be careful, it may not be legal? But anyway, Derek, comments on uh, on your use before we close out? Uh, gee, you know, uh, other than what I've said, not too much more. You know, it, it's just so darn convenient to have the ability to listen to all my local fire and rescue services at my desk, you know, without having to have a scanner running or something like that. It's all just integrated within the computer. And then, you know, when I have time, uh, like right now, I've uh, just launched the uh, ADSB application here. So we're looking at the flights that are. This flight here is just about to go over my house, and you can see where it's heading. And 
Yeah, the Corrado asked a good question. James said from DC to several gigahertz, but what the answer, the question is, what are the frequencies, the range of frequencies that an SDR can receive? And I'm, I'm going to guess, Bob, if you were going to answer this, you'd say it depends on the SDR, but in general, what is the answer to that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it depends on the SDR, sorry. Uh, so the, the more expensive the SDR, the wider the range. So, for example, a $2,000 SDR from Edis will go from uh, 400 um, uh, megahertz to, I think, 4,000 megahertz. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a pretty broad range and includes all the wireless communications uh, frequencies. The, I'm not sure what the $14 one uh, that Derek has does, but it probably isn't that wide. Um, and Interestingly. That's, that's, that, that, that's really, is, it, is it wider? No, it's not wider, but the range is quite a bit different. Uh, out of the box, it's about 26 megahertz up to sure. about 1500. Now, Edis has other products that you can get that same, a lower range, like from 20 megahertz to 200 megahertz, and they're and they are cheaper. So well, why am um, I seeing 40 meters on the web interface stuff that you see? I'm glad you asked me that, Randy. We're what we're seeing seven megahertz, which is 40 meters and lower, and even 80 meters. So go ahead. The uh, the ham-based versions, which are intermediately priced between what I'm talking about and the other ones uh, for cellular, uh, cover that range. What I do is I've got a, uh, a converter, so you're just up-converting. And the nice part about that is you don't have to remember your up-convert frequency conversion. You just can adjust for it in software, so in the software you actually look like you're tuning to the correct frequency already taking into uh, account the upconverting. Okay, and again, James, Jamie posted a link for uh, an upconverter up for cheap, he says. It's uh, noelec, N-O-O-E-L-E-C.com. So it's a hamitup.html. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Newlec are absolutely fantastic. Oh, cool. Um, that's the only place I buy this stuff from. How's that for an endorsement? Okay, let's give them a – let me read that out more carefully then. It's www.noelec.com. I'm sure from there you can get a list of all their products. So this is great. We've got you and we've got Derek representing sort of the computer, the consumer end, uh, and then Bob is uh, is in the higher end stuff and knows about that, and that, that's great that we heard a little about that too in Range Networks. Uh, I don't know where we can go from here because I know so little. James would probably have a couple of questions, but I can't really channel him. I hope we've covered anything, but those of you in IRC, if you want to uh, type anything further, I'll be watching there. And we're listing on ZipDX, so you can type a star type, not type, but you push star and six. Star six will toggle your mute state if you want to make a comment. I guess Adam didn't show up, by the way, uh, Chris, if you're <laughs> If you're still here, Chris maybe has a question though. I see he's still here. I do. IMAX can. Chris is in might be a bit. Australia. You still don't have that cable set up. <laughs> Australia's connectivity. You sound a little underseas. Underseas. Let's see. Um, what was the question? What was the question I had? Yeah, it was, it was it was the application. Imagine the the, the these these uh, 
software defined radio is for is for data. While um, there was, obviously there was something I read one. online about uh, definitely not. I like, got one bar of three G, and I don't know what the I don't know what the WiMAX. I wonder if you're on IRC and can type that in, Chris, because unfortunately it's it's really it's really bad, is it? Yeah, it's it's pretty choppy. It's pretty choppy. But if you have a question or comment, if you can type it in, I guess you're not on IRC. Uh, not yet. Hi, uh, can you hear me better now? Yes, oh, much better. Hello. Much better. Going back over to three G. Yay! I'm glad we're moving out of this place. Uh, <coughs> the the question the question was: Notice a um, there were FCC regulations um, that they're putting towards router manufacturers, certainly in the in the states. I don't know what they'll do here. They typically follow suit, where they would say that no, you can't have open source software on on these routers, you have to lock down the uh, radio chips because obviously people are pushing them outside of the designated frequencies for the uh, for the region. They're pushing them outside of the um, you know they're pushing them outside of the legal power limits. Um, with this uh, with this software defined radio gear, um, I, what sort of licensing or what sort not so much licensing but what sort of regulations? Um, are, are you subject? Um, if, if sort of, are, are there any things that you any restrictions? Still breaking up really bad, uh, Chris. Yeah, but I, I mean, I I get the if he's asking a question of me or I, I have a gist of it, which is yeah, I think it know, was for you, Bob. Yeah. Um, so you know what we always tell our customers is that you're. Uh, you know, obliged to follow the laws, regulations, and ordinances of the um, of your regulating authority in your country. Um, so uh, that's the you know that's the I mean that's the truth. You're you're supposed to do that. So when somebody buys something from us, they're not just supposed to turn it on. Um, you know, practically. Um, you know, when you're when you're talking about some of the deployments that we have around the world, uh, you know, who knows? Um, but when we're working with real service providers, we do want to make sure they have license spectrum that that is set aside for um, what they're doing with us. All right. So uh, for, yeah, so that 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 because that is a, that is an issue. You don't want to be stepping out of people's spectrum. Uh, now, it's one thing to transmit, it's another to receive. So, different regulations around transmission. Mm. Was the, that, that was my question. Um, originally, see, originally ham, the ham radios used to be able to buy back, back when I was sort of doing it. Year that came out in the late 70s, you could modify. Chris, we're not we're not uh, we're not getting enough to really figure out what you're trying to ask here, I don't think. But um, Bob, I have a question for you because I was talking to Jamie in, in IRC, and uh, he mentions that you could even get slow scan on SDR. And I was just saying a few minutes ago to someone else, uh, what about video? Because 
in theory, there's no real difference except decoding it, right? So right. is there work being done in video? And not just slow scan, but actual video. Um, well, I don't know directly, but At I do know... It's horribly that, complicated, I understand yeah, that. I, I mean, I do know that we send video over our cellular base stations, you know, uh, encoded through the the uh, typically 3G uh, UMTS data stream. Um, doing something natively, I, again, it's just it's basically decoding um, the signals in software. So uh, if you have a codec available that implemented that for you, you could probably receive signals and, I mean, use an SDR as a TV tuner, basically. If yeah, Jamie, Jamie says that there are dongles for $20 that can, that can allow you to watch TV on the PC. Yeah, Randy, there you go. Absolutely. look at the uh, dongles that you've been showing. That is the same dongle. They were originally purposed as a DVB-T receiver. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. So uh, we, uh, you know, range doesn't do much in that area, but, yeah, absolutely could be done. Okay. Well, unless anybody has any reason to continue, I think we can probably stop here. We've had a lot of great contributions, and I appreciate everybody's time here because you folks have other things to do, I know, and this was really off the wall. And originally, James was going to be running it, and it may have been a little bit more structured. Sorry about that. <laughs> Hang on. I'm sorry. I have to disagree. Carry sure. on. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, thank you, Bob, from Range Networks, and we appreciate what you guys are doing. We've been following it for a long time. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Derek, you same, same. Okay, cool. You come back sometime. Derek, thank you. Uh, I can say the same for Counterpath. We've been following you for even more years than Range, and uh, we appreciate what you folks are doing, too. Always happy to be here. And outside of Counterpath, Derek, you're a good friend and you're a good guy. We always appreciate having you. Whenever you can drop in, please do. You have an open invite. I do appreciate that. Thanks, Randy. Plus, he has a good voice, right, folks? Andy, yeah. thank you. Thanks to Michael. Thanks to everybody. Tim, who's no longer with us, but uh, he's listening out probably. Thank you, everyone, and we will talk to you next week. By the way, next week we're going to be talking about the Google Voice SIP gateway. D Derek, do you know about this? There's still one operating. There's still one operating. Wow. I, isn't that amazing? And uh, the uh, we're going to have a guest who's going who's operating one, and we'll see how long XMPP is going to work with Google Voice. But uh, join us next week at the same time, 12 noon. Go to VUC.me to check it out, and we will see you all next week. Thank you. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.